Well, happy Easter. My name is Mark Rowland. I am one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills United Methodist Church. Thank you so much for tuning in our live stream. Let me ask you a question today. What's, what's your biggest fear? I think fear of germs has been a, a big one here uh, lately in our planet. And, of course, there are good reasons. Uh, there's been a couple times since this pandemic began that I woke up in the morning and thought to myself, you know what? Uh, today would just be a good day uh, to stay in bed. <laughs> There's a lot of things that, that people fear. Uh, fear of flying, fear of heights, a fear of, of public speaking. There, there's even a fear of fear. It's called phobophobia. <laughs> but maybe what you, see, what you fear today is um, a little bit more serious. Maybe you have financial concerns. Maybe you have a health concern. Uh, maybe you're worried about a parent or maybe about a child. Maybe it's a relationship that you fear. Max Lucado says that fear will always knock on your door. Just don't invite it in. But for most of us, our biggest fear is the fear of death. You ever thought death was imminent in your life? Uh, my father was a naval pilot in World War II. He was involved in a, in a mid-air collision during a training exercise. He was the only one out of four to parachute uh, to safety. He passed that ripcord on to me, and it now hangs on the wall in my house, reminding me that I almost didn't happen. That near-death experience had a big uh, effect upon him. I, I thank God I've never had a, a similar experience. I remember a time, though, when I was... Uh, driving home from school with a friend. Many of you uh, would know him, David Ashworth. And it was a four-lane road, and there was a crossroad up ahead with a car getting ready to cross over and merge into what I assumed would be the left lane. But instead, they merged into our lane, and I slammed on the brakes, and I, uh, I swerved to miss the car, spinning the car sideways and, and into a gravel berm. And we finally came to a, a stop just short of a big pole. I was grateful to God that we were safe. And it also slowed my driving down just a little bit. I'm sure that many of us can share similar stories. And such events are reminders that life is fragile. And the bigger truth, of course, is that we are all terminal. None of us are getting off of this planet alive. And though we try to ignore it or we try to pretend it's not so deep in our hearts, we know it's true. Now, fear can be a good thing when we need to act quickly. It causes the release of, of hormones and shuts down the non-essential functions and, and increases the heart rate and the blood flow to the muscles. And it stimulates that part of our brain that helps us to focus and to store away those fear-induced memories so that we don't forget it. We need sometimes to let fear do its work to alert us to danger, to manage our money wisely, and, and to keep our kids protected. But constant fear can be a terrible thing. It can negatively affect our brain function, making it hard to regulate our, emo our emotions and decision-making abilities. 
It can lead to post-traumatic stress syndrome and even depression. It weakens our, our immune system, our cardiovascular and digestive system. It can lead to fatigue, uh, premature aging, and even death. So fear can kill you. Former Duke Divinity professor Stanley Hauervoss said that our entire culture is shaped by its fear of death. Now fear seems like an unusual topic for Easter. Uh, we associate Easter with happy faces and, and church services and Easter hymns and tulips and, and chocolate bunnies and, and new Easter outfits and, and family gatherings. But I want you to listen as I read the story of that first Easter from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. And as you listen, you will hear the sound of fear. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. When the guards were so afraid of him, they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. But he's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. And they came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. You see, this story has fear written all over it. I mean, it begins in darkness in a cemetery. I mean, who wants to be in a cemetery at night? And then an earthquake shakes the place, and then a heavenly being appears that is so frightening that Matthew says that the guards shook with fear and became like dead men. In other words, they fainted. They passed out. Now remember, folks, these are combat-ready, battle-hardened Roman soldiers. They had faced death many times. It would take a lot to make them faint with fear. And the very first thing the angel had to say was, don't be afraid. And listen again to what Matthew says about the emotional state of these women. In verse 8 he says, afraid and yet filled with joy. Is that even possible? How can those two emotions, joy and fear, coexist in the same person? Maybe you can think of some times when you had both fear and joy present. Maybe it was the birth of your first child and you were so happy but you were so terrified thinking I know nothing about how to raise a child. 
Or maybe it was that first job that you ever had. I remember how excited I was to finally to be out of school and, and to get a, a paycheck. But I can tell you that the first wedding I performed and the first funeral I presided over and the first time I ever had to preach, I was filled with fear because I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So you can have both of those emotions at the same time. See, I'm talking about fear today on this happy day because Easter can help you face your fear of dying. Stephen Colbert was interviewing actress Amanda Peet on his late night show. Uh, she had just recently turned 40, and he asked her if she had experienced a midlife crisis now that she was in her 40s, and she said, yes. She said, I fear death. And Colbert responded, okay, well, let's keep it light. <laughs> we all die. Maybe you'll go to heaven. And Amanda replied, that's where I need your help. And Colbert asked, what do you believe? And she said, I need to know what to believe in. Like, what happens when you die? Yes, she responded. I don't want to be a, a bag of dust. And Colbert replied, I don't know. I don't know what happens. I, I kind of believe, I, I kind of want the pearly gates and all of that. And the actress replied, you kind of believe? That didn't seem very inspirational. No, it's not very inspirational. But Easter answers Amanda's question. This life is not the end. You don't have to end up being a bag of dust. Jesus says uh, this. He said, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and, listen, take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. God has a place for you. And when things get unbearable in life, I need to remember that heaven is my ultimate home. It is my final home. It is my ultimate hope. The Apostle Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians 15, he says that if our hope is just in this life uh, alone, he says we are most to be pitied. You see, there is more to life than just the here and now. Now, I know it's not real popular to talk about heaven these days. It kind of seems like pie in the sky that detracts us from dealing with the issues here on earth. I find that I rarely talk about heaven except at perhaps a funeral. But it is the hope of heaven that brings perspective to my life here on earth. You see, only the hope of heaven can truly move our passions off of things which God knows fully well will, will never really satisfy us, when it finally hits you that all the money and all the wealth, all the power, all the popularity, all the prestige, that big house and that big car will never truly satisfy you, only then will you begin to understand what life on this planet is really all about. When things don't go your way, when you realize that your dreams may not come true, when you experience a, a broken heart, then you'll be on that road to true contentment. We will ask less of this life because we know full well that there is more in the next. I'm convinced that neither hardships or heartaches 
that they will make us want to go there, that broken homes and broken bodies and, and broken hearts serve to crush the illusion that earth can ever truly satisfy us, that earth can ever truly keep its promises. But heaven will. Heaven is meant to bless your path today and to be a source of hope and encouragement in the, in the midst of your headaches and your heartaches. If we are faithful to the Lord Jesus down here on earth, he's going to be so faithful in sharing his highest glory with us in heaven. But not only that, Easter gives us hope uh, when we lose somebody that we love. Again, in 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul is answering a question about uh, those believers who have died already. And some of the Thessalonian Christians seemed unsure of where their deceased loved ones were. Perhaps they thought that all Christians would live in, until the second coming. What would happen to them now since Jesus had not returned? And so the apostle writes this. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. What Paul is saying is that because Jesus died and rose again, their loved ones live on. That we don't grieve as people who have no hope. Yeah, we grieve for our loved ones. That's normal and natural and, and even good. But we have something the rest of humankind doesn't have. We have hope that is rooted in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And not only that, the resurrection promises us that there will be a reunion in heaven. I find that when somebody passes, that what I hear more than anything else from those folks is, you know, that now their loved one will be reunited with a spouse or with a, a parent or a child or another loved one. And that's very comforting. And in, in one church I served, I had an older woman uh, who insisted that there would be no reunions in heaven because we wouldn't recognize each other. And I used to wonder why she was so adamant about that. I began to wonder if maybe there was somebody in heaven that she didn't want to see when she got there. So one day I, I went to visit her with the idea I was going to finally convince her. And I explained to her how Peter and James and John seemed to recognize Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration talking with Jesus. And while the disciples did seem to have trouble at first recognizing Jesus after the resurrection, they finally did, especially in the breaking of bread. And again, how Matthew records that, that after Jesus died, holy people who had already passed away walked into Jerusalem and began talking with the citizens there. This uh, uh, older saint seemed to agree with me, but I wonder sometimes if she didn't agree just so that I would go away. Of course, I look forward to being reunited with my loved ones. But even more, I look forward to being reunited with Christ. But here's the thing. Easter not only helps us deal with our fear of dying, it also helps us to deal with our fear of living. You see, the resurrection gives our life meaning. It gives our life purpose. See, the, the biggest issue that, that young people ask is this. What is the meaning of my life? It's a major question that all of us have to come to grips with. And, and it was that question that led me to faith in Christ when I was still a teenager. 
Several months ago, I had, a, I had a, a guy follow me on Twitter. I didn't recognize the name, and it's not like I had to have this huge following on Twitter except for a few friends and family. But his name was Saigar, and I noticed that he lived near Baltimore, was a United Methodist, and was a scientist. In fact, he has a Ph.D. In, in biochemistry and molecular biology and has taught at New York University, the University of, of Pittsburgh and Rutgers. So I followed him back. A couple weeks later, he, he sent me a message. He said he wanted to send me a copy of his book and, and would I like it signed. And I said, yes, I always like free books. And I began to read his fascinating story you see, Sai was born into a family of, of left-wing radicals. In fact, his parents were members of the American Communist Party, and they indoctrinated him in the dogmas of, of communism and atheism. But his father also gave him a, a love of, of science and, and reason and, and the importance of always asking questions. And so Sai began to ask questions. Questions like, if, if humans were our simply a, a blind product of evolutionary chance with no special purpose or significance, then how could the stated goals of communism to advance human dignity and value, how could that make any sense? And if Christianity was really such a terrible evil, then why are so many good things being done by, by Christians? And he began to wonder if there might be something more to human existence than simply science and, and pure reason. He knew that evolution was true, and the Bible, which he had never read, was false. He knew that God was a fairy tale and that science held the key to unlock all of the mysteries of life. But could science tell him where the universe came from? Or how life began? Or the biggest question of all, what does it mean to be human? One Sunday he attended a church service for the very first time in his life and he found that he liked it. No thundering condemnation from the pastor. He spoke of the power of love. People were kind. He said it was so beautiful that he decided that he would return again. And then he began to read the Gospels, and he found them inspiring and, and believable, not concocted uh, to enslave the masses as he had thought. Still, he feared that it might be a trap. He didn't want to be fooled into believing a myth. And so for several years, Sai found himself stuck in that place of indecision. Until one night he was driving along the Pennsylvania Turnpike. And he turned on the radio, and it was a radio preacher, and normally he would have turned it off immediately, but he listened and continued to drive in, in the silent darkness. And then something unexplainable began to happen. Sai pulled the car over to the shoulder of the road, and he began to cry, to really cry, and he began to say between his sobs, thank you, Lord, thank you. I believe, and I am saved. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. No more doubts, no more hesitation, just joy and release. And Sai says that since that day, his purpose in life has been based on the joyful service 
of the Lord. I've asked Cy just to say a few words to us on this Easter morning, so let's give a listen. Greetings, brothers and sisters. Our Lord Jesus Christ is risen today. My name is Cy Gart. I'm a retired scientist, research biochemist, and also a converted atheist. I thank God every day for his mercy in bringing me to faith in Jesus Christ. My life is now devoted to bringing the good news of the communion between science and Christian faith to all. I want you to listen once again to verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran. They ran. They ran with fear and joy because they had discovered a God who brings hope where there is hopelessness, joy where there is sorrow, peace where there is strife, love where there is hate, faith where there is doubt. When God comes onto the scene, there is this radical reversal that God takes the wasteland of our lives, He takes the disappointments, the sufferings, the failed dreams, and He transforms them by His very presence into joy. You see, we can't control this virus. We can't control our health. We can't control the stock market. But we can change our attitude and put our trust in Christ and say, God, I can't see clearly how this is going to be worked out. But as I trust you each and every day, I am going to be free to determine my own attitude. Help me to rejoice in you always. I had so many things planned out for this spring And because of this virus, not one of them is going to happen. But here's what I've discovered. That some of the best things in my life happened, not because I planned them, but because God was with me. Some years ago, there was a terrifying ordeal of Ashley Smith, who was kidnapped and held hostage by Brian Nichols after he went on a shooting rampage in an Atlanta courthouse. You may remember the story. But staying calm, she read to Nichols chapter 33 from a book called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. And she used that book while she was being held hostage to explain to Nichols that God has a purpose for his life and a message that eventually led to his surrender. If God has a purpose for this man's sorry life, then I can tell you he has a purpose for each and every one of your lives today. Jesus gave this message to the two Marys. Go and tell my brothers he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see me. And Mary runs back to the rest. She says, I have seen the Lord. And they travel to Galilee, and Jesus is there waiting for them. And when they meet him, he gives them a new purpose. He gives them a new mission. He says to them, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God is with us. And I'm standing before you here today with the same message that I have seen the Lord and He is alive and He has a purpose for your life too. And you no longer need to be afraid of dying or of living. You may be filled 
with fear today. My friends, the resurrection has made all the difference in the world. It has changed so many lives. Jesus has changed my life, and, 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 and Jesus has changed Sai's life, and he can change your life. And so today, on this Easter Sunday, I want to extend to you an invitation to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. As we close in prayer, invite him to come into your life. Surrender yourself to, into his loving arms. Ask him to forgive you and to fill you with the Holy Spirit. He can make all things new. God will help you to become the man or the woman that you want to become to give you freedom from all your fear. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today we surrender our lives to you into the arms of the resurrected Christ. Come into our hearts, forgive us our sins, wash us clean by the blood of Jesus Christ, and give us the new life that can be ours when we place our faith in you. God, make us new creations, we pray, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.